Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning. It's nice to have your company. This is Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday, the 6th day of May. Uh, apologies for yesterday, as I mentioned in our social media postings on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Please give us a like and follow. Uh, still undergoing some surgery and work on the old mouth. Uh, fixing, repairing choppers and uh, some issues that I had with my gums and all the rest of it. So (laughs) that may explain some of the lispiness that you might hear from time to time. And yesterday, it was terrible. I could barely open my mouth and the lispiness was terrible. (laughs) Hopefully today it's a lot better. Well, I certainly feel um, in a lot less pain and I've still got another uh, month or so of this therapy and then finally uh, it'll be done. I put it off for, for many years. I had other expenses and kids to look after and now it's time to look after myself. So uh, new chompers, new mouth and I'm looking forward to the final result. Uh, my bank balance is also looking forward to the final result. Gee, it's expensive dentistry these days, particularly when you need to have some extensive work done. Not to worry. Uh, now, big program on the way, bite-sized chunks of news. We'll go through what's been going on on the election campaign. Albo again criticised um, fairly, I would imagine, from some sections of the media for uh, a bit of a, a brain fade yesterday. But look, my argument is, what's the use of having advisors if they're not there to advise you? Um, I don't know. Sometimes I, I just think Albo... Uh, gets a little nervous and gets a little, uh, you know, like deer in the headlights when some of the uh, the hacks start attacking him. And it was, you know, it was pretty painful to watch yesterday. They knew they had a gotcha moment when he couldn't remember the six key principles or policies on his NDIS uh, policy. And look, that can happen. Uh, they accused him of not being, of course, across his brief. And the attack went on. And and then, of course, it was weaponized by the right side of politics, by the LNP. And, of course, it was. We're in an election campaign. Uh, Both sides do it equally. And, you know, I can't criticize the federal government for having a crack at elbow on this when, you know, uh, the left have attacked ScoMo over so many other issues like uncooked chicken. (laughs) This weekend, I'm making a curry. And we can have that curry together. Make him a curry. I love curries. This weekend, I'm making a curry. Jen's making a pad. I've got a great curry recipe, and I'm going to be bringing you the curry, a hot Sri Lankan chicken curry. Start with your oils. You put your curry leaves in there. Get your spices in there. Ah, your, 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 your whole ones. And it sort of infuses the oil. You might have marinated the chicken. Put the coconut cream in. It comes out, and it's pretty magic. A curry for the country. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to tell the Prime Minister that one. A curry for the country. I love it. I love Indian food. Anyway, it all adds to the, the colour and the character, I think, of the election campaign. Certainly colour being, you know, teal. What are the teal independents all about? Look, my hotline is there, 04065 You can message me or call me anytime, 24-7. Leave a message if you want me to look into some issues. Matty got in touch with us. He wants to know what the teal independents are all about. So we've got an explainer coming up in the program this morning. Now, explosive allegations, and I do repeat the term allegations, against the federal treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. It's all to do with the Alan Tudge affair and uh, the payment that was made to a former Liberal staffer of some half a million dollars. Now, our friends at True Crime News Weekly, Sir Khan and his team have been doing some investigative journalism and they think um, and they claim in their allegations that Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, is involved in this somehow. The allegations are explosive. I will speak to Sir Khan about them in uh, in this program this morning, so stay listening for that. Mother's Day on Sunday. Some people want to change it to Parents' Day. Yep, that old argument again. I don't give a stuff what you call it. 
if it if it means that you know some kids out there without a mum are happy with the school calling it Parents Day, go ahead. So much is made about all this stuff, and so many people get a little upset, but you know, and they oh, it's all getting all woke, and the sky is going to come crashing down on our heads because some schools decide to make it inclusive for all of their students who may not have a mum or a dad and just call it Parents Day or Carers Day. Who cares? You know, you can call it what you want. That's the good thing about being in a democracy. Uh, look, if your mum is around, spend some time with her on Sunday. If you can, buy her a gift. It's not about gifts, though. It shouldn't be com- I mean, that's all Mother's Day really is anyway. It's commercialised, a bit like Father's Day and the rest of them. Um, spend time with mum. Maybe, you know, cook a dinner. Even if she- just make her a cup of tea. Just be there for your mum. Uh, I think that's a good thing to do on Sunday. Talk about that. How much money is being spent on the election campaign by all parties, particularly on social media? You may be surprised by the findings. I'll get through that story and a whole lot more this morning. The latest news, as always, from Air News and some great bangers, great tunes to keep you company throughout the next couple of hours. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome to Friday. Let's get into it. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me, I'll have your say on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Show. On Starter FM. All right, welcome back on this Friday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. The hotline is there for you anytime to have your say. 0406 521250. Well, a big day yesterday on the federal election campaign trail. Anthony Albanese was forced to refer to a cheat sheet to list his six-point NDIS policy just hours after angrily saying it was absurd to suggest he's not across his brief. I'll play some of that video for you soon. Uh, Albo apparently walked out of a disastrous press conference, according to News Limited, in which he was unable to recall the details of his NDIS policy until he was handed a cheat sheet by an advisor. The showing came just hours after Mr Albanese angrily told television interviewer Alison Langdon on the Nine Network it was absurd to suggest he's not across the details of his job and that he handballs tough questions to his shadow ministers. Meanwhile, the relationship between the Solomon Islands and Australia has deteriorated even further as the Pacific Nations leader lashed Australia and its allies for threatening invasion following its China deal. While the Defence Minister claims the Chinese government wants Labor to win the election. Well, of course he does. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was campaigning in Western Sydney again and spruiking his pledge to create 400,000 new small businesses by 2025. All right, back to Albo and his apparent brain fade yesterday. He's been accused of not knowing his policy just hours after today's show host Alison Langdon accused him of the same thing. Yesterday morning, Mr Albanese was repeatedly asked by journalists to detail the six points of Labor's plan for the NDIS, but was unable to answer. The opposition leader was forced to step away during an answer by Chris Bowen and appeared to receive a document which detailed his six-point plan. Mr Albanese insisted he knew his policy details before reading off the sheet handed to him by an advisor. Soon afterwards, Albo abruptly cut the press conference short after less than 20 minutes and was whisked out the door. When pressed on the details of his NDIS plan, Mr Albanese initially said what Labor would do was outlined by Bill Shorten. But he was then asked repeatedly, what are the six points? He responded, we will put people at the centre of the NDIS All of our programs are based around that. There were further questions thrown at him, including what is the policy and do you know what it is? Albo briefly stepped away to receive notes from a senior advisor, then returned to the lectern and read out the six points from the document. All right, well, here is how it played out yesterday. Uh, Already being weaponised, of course, uh, by uh, the government, which, you know, understandably, this is an election campaign and they will take whatever they can. Yesterday, you talked about Labor's six-point plan. What are the six points? 
The, the six points are what we will do in terms of was outlined by Bill Shorten. What that's about is making sure. What 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 that's about is make what. Well, if you let me answer the question, what that's about is making sure that we take pressure off people who are at the moment having their programs cut. Mr Albanese, what are the other five uh, points, Mr Albanese? We, we will put people, it you, is all are, around the are, theme of Mr. putting Albanese, people, you are putting people, you are across your brief. We will what put people, six points we will put policy? people at the centre of the NDIS. What are the Mark. six points of your policy, uh, Mr Albanese? We will put people at the centre of the NDIS. All of our programs are based upon that. After the NDIS question that Mr. Kersley just asked you, but also, sorry, policy document. Is this a sign that you don't know one of your policies? That's not right. Are these the six points here that have to be handed to you by your advisor? That's not right. But we just saw you, it's on camera. Our policy on the NDIS is to defend and fix the NDIS. Lifting the NDIA staffing cap, doubling existing funding for advocacy, fixing regional access, and stopping waste. And stopping waste. Policy, Mr. Albanese. will be Albanese. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as I say, uh, already being weaponised by the Liberal National Party, and they've got uh, you know advertisements and videos running all over social media, as you'd expect. It's an election campaign. New South Wales Liberal Senator Holly Hughes described Albo's mistake as extraordinary. She said, as the mother of the participants in the NDIS, I'm horrified at what this incompetence may lead to. This guy is just not up to it, she said. Journalist questioned Mr Albanese's knowledge of Labor policies and asked him if he regularly called on shadow ministers to avoid answering detailed questions. The opposition leader insisted the claims were not right and rather bizarre. I'm captain of a team. I'm very proud of the team that we have, is what he said. Well, look, the optics weren't good yesterday for Anthony Albanese and it's probably a morning that he would rather forget. Marcus Paul in the morning. Under Albanese, but it's a con. Under Scott Morrison, it'll be easier. Albanese, than the con. That is Scott Morrison, it'll be easier. Albanese, it'll be a con. Under Scott Morrison, it'll be easier. Albanese. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday. Nice to have your company the 6th day of May. Back to the campaign trail and yesterday, some sensational comments by Peter Dutton. Basically, he says that China wants federal Labor to win the May 21st election. Peter Dutton has described the reach of China's expanding influence as, quote, phenomenal and claimed he has evidence that Beijing wants Labor to win the election. The Defence Minister made the comments during a debate at the National Press Club as he squared off yesterday against Labor's defence spokesman, Brendan O'Connor. Now, Uh, Asked if Australia was less safe today because of the freshly inked security deal between the Solomons and China, Mr Dutton said Australia was doing its best to maintain peace in the Pacific. He said, though, but I don't think we should pretend that uh, to the Australian people that we don't live in an uncertain time, as we're seeing right across the region, in fact, right across the world. China's influence into Africa, their influence into broader Asia, their influence into even Europe is quite phenomenal. There's no doubt in my mind, said Peter Dutton, that the Chinese Communist Party would like to see a change of government at the May 21 election. There's evidence of that on the WeChat activity, which is a Communist Party-dominated and influenced platform. He went on, the way in which editors of Chinese language newspapers in our country have been leaned on, I think, is further evidence and other elements, obviously, that I can't go into publicly. 
Well, Mr O'Connor, for his part, agreed that China has become aggressive, assertive and coercive, and it's using and applying methods of operation that we would not operate. There was also widespread questions yesterday over why Pacific Minister Zed Seselja was sent on a critical last-minute diplomatic mission to the Solomons instead of the more senior Foreign Minister Maurice Payne. Both Mr Dutton and Mr O'Connor agreed that Australia needed the sovereign defence capability that came with building next-generation submarines here in Australia, in South Australia. Well, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, for his part, says Australia will continue to work constructively and diplomatically with the Solomons, but has refused to say whether he will call its leader. ScoMo's comments came after the, the Solomon Islands Prime Minister lashed Australia for treating the Pacific nation like kindergartners with Colt 45s. Quote, We are insulted. Apparently, uh, the Solomon Islands leader told Parliament as he spoke out against Australia and the United States' response to the security deal with China. In response, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said they're family and that Australia will continue to be there for the Solomon Islands. When asked if he would call their leader, Scott Morrison deflected, I will continue to work constructively with the Solomon Islands government as we always have. But Mr Morrison was interrupted by the host on the Nine Network during this interview, Carl Stefanovic, who questioned, what does that mean, PM? It means we deal with these things diplomatically, professionally, calmly, rationally, replied the PM. Look, Labor Senator Penny Wong said the Morrison government had ignored warning signs about the deteriorating relationship with the Solomons without naming the US or Australia. Of course, uh, the Solomons Island leader lashed both nations, warning that a Chinese military presence in the Solomons was a red line that would not be tolerated. All right, well, that was a little on foreign policy yesterday on the hustings. In between all of that, Scott Morrison made a quick visit to a local Lebanese bakery in the seat of Parramatta to spruik his plan to create 400,000 new small businesses. The PM is hoping the policy will be the latest election sweetener to get him over the line come May 21. He was at Alba's Pastries in Granville, where he packed a bag of sweets before owner Milad Abla presented the Prime Minister with a cake baked for the occasion with strong economy, strong future, vote one Maria Kovacic, written all over it. But the cake remained untouched before he stepped away to address the media on his fifth visit to the electorate in this campaign. I mentioned that the other day. Expect to see more of Scott Morrison out in those Western Sydney seats, in particular Parramatta. Now, the Western Sydney electorate, held by Labor on a slim margin, I think it's 3.5%, is in the Liberal sites following the retirement of longtime MP Julie Owens. Now, it hopes the decision to parachute former Kevin Rudd staffer Andrew Charlton into the seat over a local candidate could play in the government's favour. Uh, Ms Kovacic hit back at Westy Wannabe, <laughs> Mr Charlton, after he struggled to name three local restaurants. Joking that someone had been asked that question recently and said there were hundreds and hundreds of beautiful restaurants to pick from, I wouldn't pick a top three. Listing off a number of uh, cuisines she enjoyed, Miss Kovacic pointed to Bayside Dessert Bar, Roos Bar and the Meat and Wine Co in Parramatta CBD as some of her favourite haunts. <laughs> to name just a few seems really unfair, she added. Anyway, if you want to sit down with me for an hour, we can go through suburb by suburb and I can tell you my best places to eat. So Maria Kovacic, obviously, is playing the local card. Now, later, yes, in the day yesterday, Mr Morrison returned to the park where he played rugby league as a youngster to announce funding for a new clubhouse for the Cogra Cougars. Uh, this is in his own electorate, of course, down there in the Sutherland Shire of Cook, which he has held since 2007. Scott Morrison tossed a footy around with some of the club's younger members. He said, this park has been around a long time. I played in this park when I was a young kid. The PM then briefly kicked the footy around with some locals, asked what he thought of the PM's on-field performance. 
A local by the name of Layla was surprised by his footy skill. <laughs> all right. But look, the, the main announcement yesterday amid all of these photo opportunities, etc., was the fact that the Liberals are plugging small business boosts Pinning his electoral hopes on aspirational Australians, Scott Morrison pledged his government will help create 400,000 new small businesses in the next three years. The PM also announced a $17.9 million boost to the government's existing business energy advice program, which offers advice to business owners on how to cut their electricity costs. With around 100,000 businesses employing under 200 people in the last year created, Mr Morrison's new commitment would be around a 25% increase over the next term of government. He said yesterday, When we create small businesses, we create jobs. Our plan for a strong economy and a stronger future for all Australians relies on strong small businesses. Uh, ScoMo said the Coalition had a track record to set the conditions that help to create businesses. The Small Business Pledge is similar to his week one commitment. The Coalition will create 1.3 million jobs in the next five years, an increase on the projected number expected to be generated through natural economic growth. Now, Industry, Energy and Emissions Reduction Minister, yes, that's the title, Angus Taylor, said the expansion of the business advice program would benefit sectors with high electricity use, He said practical programs like this have supported thousands of small businesses across Australia to invest in equipment upgrades and save money on their energy costs. Now, ScoMo spent Wednesday in South Australia in the seat of Boothby, currently held by the Liberals, on a 1.3% margin in a fly-in, fly-out visit. The PM and his candidate, Dr Rachel Swift, went to a retirement village, a rally with Liberal volunteers and an afternoon street walk to a local cafe. He was also asked to explain what he meant when he said Alan Tudge would be returned as Education Minister in a future Cabinet if he was, quote, available. Well, he decided to stand aside for his own personal region, said ScoMo. Should he be in a position to be able to step up again, I would welcome him back. So there we go. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back on this Friday, Marcus Paul in the morning. Now, in New South Wales, the Perrottet government has been handed 44 urgent recommendations to fix a historic failure in improving the inferior and unacceptable regional healthcare sector. The parliamentary inquiry into healthcare across rural, regional and remote New South Wales tabled its final report yesterday morning and found that residents away from the cities were facing consistently poor health outcomes and premature death. That's something we've talked about on this program with Helen Dalton and other regional MPs for a number of years. The scathing critique came out of the year-long inquiry, which had 15 hearings that detailed horrific stories, including hospitals that operate without doctors, paramedics being treated like a patient transport service, and repeated neglect of patients. Now, the chair, Greg Donnelly, who's a Labor MLC, said the current state of regional health is a situation that can and should not be seen as acceptable. We heard stories of emergency departments with no doctors, of patients being looked after by cooks and cleaners, of excessive wait times for treatment, and of misdiagnoses and medical errors. This evidence is by no means a reflection on the New South Wales health staff working tirelessly in challenging conditions. Rather, it is an indictment of the system that has allowed this situation to develop. He went on and said, Overall, the committee has found that residents of rural, regional and remote New South Wales have poorer health outcomes and inferior access to health and hospital services and face significant financial challenges in accessing these services compared to their metropolitan counterparts. Now, the committee found that New South Wales Health had a culture of fear, quote-unquote, a culture of fear, to gag staff from raising concerns about resourcing, patient safety and staff welfare, 
and that there was a lack of transparency and accountability across the department and its regional health districts. The recommendations include developing a 10-year recruitment and retention plan for the regional health workforce, increasing training positions, expediting a new review of the nurses and midwifery workforce and greater employer of ger- and greater employment rather of geriatric nurses. Now, the report also called on the committee to hold a follow-up inquiry in two years to ensure the recommendations are followed through. Premier Dominic Perrottet, for his part, said he isn't surprised by the findings of the report. He said, I'll read it. That'll be the first step. I don't think I'll be surprised by what I read because these issues have been well ventilated during the course of the inquiry. He then went on to say the great thing about these inquiries is that they provide insight for governments to reflect on and look at and address, and that's exactly what we'll do. All right, well, the state government has until November to respond to the recommendations. Marcus Paul in the morning. Live this weekend where the action is. Yeah, some news now on industrial relations. And I noticed yesterday the Premier of New South Wales, Dominic Perrottet, indicated he is open to tradies heading to work sites on Sundays, saying we need to get the state moving post-COVID. The Premier backed his planning minister, Anthony Roberts, who told a property council meeting on Wednesday of this week that one way to deal with labour shortages, supply chain pressures and rising construction costs was to lift caps on Sunday construction. Uh, Mr Roberts told the lunch earlier this week one way to alleviate these impacts is to facilitate extended construction hours. Now, Mr Perrottet confirmed yesterday the government was looking at allowing wholesale construction work on Sundays after successfully allowing it last year. Remember, during the the height of the pandemic, uh, when we came out of the first lockdown, there were changes, uh, which meant the tradies, in order to, you know, get back on the tools and to get back to jobs that had been put aside, they were able to work extended hours during the week and also right across the weekend. Uh, Mr. Perrottet said yesterday, in terms of working on Sundays, we did that during the pandemic. We're looking at that again, and we'll deal with it in a balanced and appropriate way. We obviously want to bring the community with us, uh, but I want people in work. I want people in jobs, the Premier added. He also said that allowing work on Sundays provides opportunities, particularly in circumstances where that other days may be washed out. While saying lifting the Sunday work ban could help hit New South Wales housing targets of building 50,000 new homes a year. We can't have an Australia where we can't house our children. The Premier said we need to build homes. We need to get the state moving. Well, construction work is currently permitted from Monday to Saturday, while Sunday work is only permitted in specific circumstances. So I'm just wondering if you're a tradie out there, what do you make of this? Should you be allowed to get on the tools on a Sunday, let me know. On the hotline, it's open for you right now. 0406 521 250. Or, of course, you can always comment on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. It seems that there was a few rats in Sydney. Men, men. It's like black and white TV on the moon, mate. It doesn't make any sense. Ah, girls, boys, ah, boys, girls. Transphobia. There's so much happening. Men, 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 boys, girls, transphobia, black and white TV. What's up with that? Oh, my God. Welcome back. 0406521250. The Marcus Paul in the Morning Hotline. If you would care to comment on any of the stories that I mentioned this morning, we would love to hear from you. Well, one-time Australian TV game show king, Andrew O'Keefe, His nightmare continues. You know, he's appearing before court at the moment on a number of charges, domestic violence related, and he has some issues on, you know, his mental health as well. But yesterday, 
He screamed at a magistrate, claiming he had no interest in justice. And he was then threatened with contempt of court after again being denied bail. Now, the 50-year-old appeared visibly distressed and frustrated as he faced Sydney Central Local Court via AVL, that's Audio Visual Link, from Dawn De Laos Correctional Centre. Where's that? Dawn De Laos Correctional Centre. Anyway, Mr O'Keefe was hit with six charges earlier this year in January after police alleged that he grabbed a woman by the throat, punched her and pushed her to the ground. He pleaded not guilty to all charges, including intentionally choking a person without consent, three counts of common assault and one count of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. In the weeks after the arrests, police laid a further charge after they found Mr O'Keefe with 1.5 grams of marijuana. He has pleaded guilty to one charge of possessing a prohibited drug and is yet to be sentenced for that. Through his lawyers, Mr O'Keefe has previously claimed that he was acting in self-defence and was himself the victim of an assault. The complainant has not been charged with any offence. Now, Mr O'Keefe has been remanded in custody since his arrest and he lost a bid for bail in the New South Wales Supreme Court in March. And, of course, we remember those scenes when he was bundled in the back of a paddy... uh, Well, a, a correctional van a correctional services van, and he was screaming and kicking at the door. It was awful. Defence lawyer Sharon Ramsden presented a fresh application for bail this week, claiming there's a special circumstance of a bed being available at a long-term rehabilitation centre in Port Stephens. She also argued that more evidence had been served on Mr O'Keefe that outlined the lack of injury on the complainant. It's not my intention to rehash everything and waste your time, Miss Ramsden told the court. There were further brief service items which can support my client. Now, over the almost two-hour bail hearing, Mr O'Keefe was audibly frustrated over what was being said in court and said he could not see the court on his AVL screen. A police prosecutor opposed the bail application and said there was no new information other than some photographs of the complainant. There's not fresh circumstances in what has been put before the court. He has been in rehab nine times, said the police prosecutor. Now, Mr O'Keefe spoke over the prosecutor to deny the allegations as Magistrate Daniel Rees warned him he would be going backwards by speaking up. That's simply not true, Your Honour, Mr O'Keefe said, raising his voice. I'm just getting the truth out there. Now, Mr Rees said the significant difference between the previous bail applications was that there was now a chance to go to a long-term rehabilitation centre. And look, I've got to be honest with you, I think that's what Andrew O'Keefe needs. And perhaps a court order that he attend this rehab centre for a period of time might improve his mental health. Anyway, uh, the court was told it was troubling that Mr O'Keefe's alleged offending went on while already on bail. The 50-year-old erupted in anger. Alleged behaviour, Your Honour, nothing is confirmed. Are you trying to sabotage your own application? The magistrate replied. Now, Mr O'Keefe continued to interrupt and shake his head in frustration as Mr Rees told the court of the 50-year-old's mental health and drug issues. Despite, Despite multiple pleas from Miss Ramsden to be quiet and only say something when spoken to, Mr O'Keefe continued. Now, Mr Rees told the court that Mr O'Keefe had significant attitudinal problems. Mr O'Keefe then replied, it's not an attitudinal problem, it's a technical problem. The magistrate warned that Mr O'Keefe was bordering on being in contempt of court. I've dealt with many defendants, some are psychotic and are not as hard to deal with as you. Someone with legal qualifications and 10 warnings should know how to deal with it, Miss Rees said. You're a lawyer. There's two sides to every story. You should know that. Now, Mr Rees said he was going to grant Mr O'Keefe bail to go to the rehabilitation centre until he witnessed his attitude in court. (laughs) Now, that then caused Andrew O'Keefe to become further enraged. I would have been inclined to grant bail if not for the ongoing behaviour of Mr O'Keefe in the court. Someone who is qualified as a lawyer 
and has been in court on several occasions, there have been several warnings. I am presented with a man who cannot be trusted with complying with directions. So Mr Rees denied bail, saying he was not willing to allow the, quote, unacceptable risk of letting Mr O'Keefe leave custody. All right, well, Andrew O'Keefe then gathered, gathered his papers and stood up before saying, the transcript will say that I was not arguing. I was trying to help you, Your Honour. You have no interest in justice. Mr O'Keefe continued before storming out of the AVL suites. Wow. Now, Mr Rees told Mr Ramsden that Mr O'Keefe would need to apologise to the court. Otherwise, he would be found in contempt. There will be a contempt citation unless he retracts and apologises for his behaviour. He will need to retract that, otherwise there will be contempt proceedings. Well, Mr O'Keefe will return to court for a hearing in June. I guess we'll just have to wait to see whether he does apologise. Yeah, it's a sad story, the Andrew O'Keefe story. After a successful 17-year partnership, Channel 7 dumped Andrew O'Keefe following a series of public scandals and personal struggles that reportedly impacted production of the hit game show, The Chase Australia. Before launching The Chase, Mr O'Keefe fronted Weekend Sunrise, another game show called Deal or No Deal, The Rich List and other primetime specials, including the Logie Awards. He was also ordered, uh, sorry, awarded an Order of Australia for his work on television and in the charity space, including as a former ambassador for, well, ironically, anti-domestic violence organisation White Ribbon. Look, I don't like seeing people fall from grace like this, and it's pretty obvious that Andrew O'Keefe is battling some mental demons. I hope he gets the help that he needs and gets the advice that he should accept. He just needs to learn to be a little quiet while in court. Otherwise, this nightmare for Andrew O'Keefe will continue. Marcus Paul in the morning. Have a hot meal because tomorrow you will die. The Marcus Paul Hotline. Starter FM. 0406 521 250. Call now and have your say 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All right, welcome back. Friday morning, 0406 the hotline number. It's time to catch up with our friends at True News Crime Weekly. <laughs> True Crime News Weekly. That's what I said, Sir Khan <laughs> Ozturk. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, mate. Good to have you back on air after a few weeks away, Marcus. Good well, to hear I, you, mate. I, I've sort of been here. Uh, look, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I did muck that up. Uh, look, I have an excuse. I'm yes, we know that. On a cocktail of painkillers, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not your usual way to go about it. That's because you've had some dentistry work or something, haven't oh, you, Marcus? Oh, mate, yeah, I'm having the um, the mouth reconstructed. See, I'm I, I'm on a promise. Unless I got rid of uh, you know a couple of gaps in the mouth, I, I wouldn't be able to marry the woman of my dreams later this year. Anyway, um, it's it's painful. Um, yep. Not only uh, physically and literally, but also in the hip pocket, I'll tell you. But not to worry. It's <laughs> got to be done. All right, mate. Uh, you guys have been extremely busy there in the office. Uh, tell me about this expose on Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. No surprise the mainstream haven't touched it. So, yeah, Josh Frydenberg is at the centre of the latest, I guess, sexual harassment, sexual abuse scandal that's plagued Prime Minister Scott Morrison's, you know, tenure as leader of Australia. And this time it's related to the R- Rochelle Miller report that the Department of Finance um, had uh, created after she, her allegations involving several MPs, involved, including Alan Tudge, which was publicised. Yeah. We know about the alleged domestic violence, the alleged emotional abuse there. The ABC did an interview with Rochelle Miller last year about yeah. it. But back then, there was also questions about another MP being involved in another way. And even as until just a few weeks ago, this was reported in the ABC, again, an unnamed MP being involved in this $500,000 shut-up payment that the government has given to Miss Miller. 
uh, after her complaints about uh, various allegations involving sexual harassment, abuse, bullying by uh, several Liberal MPs. Right. Why uh, the public? So we also kind of thought, I guess, the public uh, was under the impression that Scott Morrison was just basically protecting his on again, off again cabinet minister missing in action, Alan Tudge. Yep. Uh, by, by not releasing this report because the, re- the report was uh, written by the Department of Finance, was finalised, was given to Rochelle Miller and her lawyers uh, a month or two ago. Last month, Rochelle Miller uh, gave up her rights for privacy over the report, saying she's willing for the whole report to be made public and doesn't well, care how be. it's portrayed. Well, it should be. So, can't it and should so be. She, it's taxpayer yeah. money. It's half it a is. million dollars. Half I, a million. I want to know why she's entitled to half a million dollars. And look, and that's what we've done at True Crime News Weekly this week, and this is a big story that everyone in Australia is reading. We, we can we can tell you right now here on Air Marcus, we've had thousands of new subscribers. This story has been seen, but has been seen by hundreds of thousands, if not Good. millions, in twenty four hours. Yeah. Um. So the mainstream media want to cover this up. Was too bad. It's already out there. We know what happened with the Barnaby Joyce scandal a few years ago. This one's even worse. This is an actual sexual abuse kind of a cover up. For half a million dollars of taxpayers' money to protect Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, right, who what, is alleged. Here, here are the allegations, Marcus. Yeah, the allegations I was going to say, how, how is uh, the Treasurer of Australia allegedly involved in this scandal? So the allegations date back to his time when he was just newly elected as an MP just after 2010. He was elected in 2010. The allegations relate to incident that happened just over a decade or so ago um, where Josh Frydenberg is alleged by Miss Miller, and these allegations are in the Department of Finance report. Uh, she has alleged that Josh Frydenberg has uh, tried to kiss and grope her without her consent um, she's had to uh, fight him off, uh, uh, you know, had, and there's been an issue where this has gone on for uh, to such an extent that, as you said, a half a million dollar payout. Um, and now, so questions have to be raised here about um, the character of Josh Frydenberg. And we've also, we've had the issues with Christian Porter, Bruce Lerman, whose criminal trial's coming up yep. over the yep. parliament, alleged parliament house rape, alleged uh, allegations against Christian Porter. Um, now we've got allegations against Josh Frydenberg. Mm. Uh, this is really a government that stings rock to high heaven, it looks like, when it comes to, um, uh, you know, things like uh, women's rights, Did Miss um, Miller, empathy. Yeah, look, you know what's going to – people are going to say, well, if uh, there's any uh, substance to the allegations, why didn't Miss Miller uh, go to the police? <sighs> Well, we know there's been various issues. With uh, We had Christian Porter's alleged victim go to the police and she was basically stonewalled for months and months to get anywhere. So we, we know that there's a culture of cover-up where powerful mates are covering up for other powerful mates and one needs to put themselves in Miss Miller's shoes as a woman, okay. uh, having to do with these powerful people. She's been encultured in the Liberal Party way. She doesn't want to lose her job and her friends and her network. Of course, she's going to try and solve these issues in certain ways privately. And then after a while, it's not going to happen. She's going to come out publicly and that's what's happened. Yeah. And she's going to take action. And, and look, we, we, we can only commend her for what she's done to further highlight the sick, sick culture within the halls of Canberra here, Marcus. Mm. That's the big issue here. This isn't just a one-off. We've had so many of these issues over the last few years under Scott Morrison's prime ministership. The spiritual He's a spiritual mentee of uh, Brian Houston, who's currently facing criminal charges for protecting pedophiles, his own dad. And we've got Scott Morrison, who he's been involved in, it seems like, uh, the, these uh, he's the figurehead for these cover-ups. Although he's well, yeah. a prime minister, well, allegedly uh, we've got to be uh, alleged. Well, these alleged cover-ups, Marcus. Yeah. He's a prime yeah. minister, so the buck must stop with him. Either sure. either he's completely unaware or he's completely incompetent. It's one of the two. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mean, uh, Scott Morrison uh, yesterday told the media regarding Alan Tudge, for instance, that he'd welcome him back into the fro if, uh, <laughs> you know, if uh, the current government, the Liberal Nationals, were re-elected after May the 21st. So he's happy to welcome back a minister he's let go missing in action for months and months. Well, he said he was gone for personal reasons, quote unquote. 
but, but his, his personal reasons will end as soon as he's re-elected into Parliament. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah, well, true, true. <laughs> Very right. convenient. Where do we go to read this, uh, this scandalous story? As always, it's truecrimenewsweekly.com. That's our website. We are also on Facebook. If you find some True Crime News Weekly on Facebook, and we're True Crime Weekly on Twitter as well, yeah. Instagram there as well. So we're everywhere, Marcus. Just Google True Crime News Weekly. Google Josh Reidenberg. It will come up. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully um, others pick up this story, but I won't hold my breath. I won't. The mainstream loves their protection rackets, Marcus, and we know they love protecting the LNP, but we're here doing our job, and we can tell you for a fact we don't need the mainstream, mate. Hundreds of thousands have seen this. We're on our way to making the news how we want to make it, and that is transparent, breaking the stories for the public, mate and getting the stories out there when it matters. All right, so Khan, good to chat. Let's catch up again soon. Appreciate it. Likewise, mate. Enjoy your week, Marcus. Things mainstream media won't tell you. Things the mainstream media won't tell you. Things the mainstream media just won't tell you. Things the mainstream media won't tell you. Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. The hotline is there for you. If you'd like to send me a question, 0406-521-250. Matthew, who's a listener in Western Sydney, says, Marcus, what can you tell me about the so-called Teal independence and why is the federal government and those on the right so threatened by them? Well, look, Matt, I think the best explainer was done, and I put it up on the Facebook page, uh, by the ABC's Media Watch program. They had a look at the coverage of the Climate 200 Teal candidates, the independents. Uh, They looked at stories in the Daily Telegraph and the Australian finding the vast majority of the stories were negative. No surprises there. Anyway, here's a good explainer, I think, of the Teal independents and why Liberal Party uh, operatives are so threatened by them. Meanwhile, you probably don't need polling to tell you the so-called teal independents, like Allegra Spender in Wentworth, Dr Monique Ryan in Kuyong, Zoe Daniel in Goldstein, and Kylie Tink in North Sydney, do have a chance of winning seats off the Liberals. And that threat to the government has made them, and Zali Stegel in Warringah, prime targets for the Coalition cheer squad at News Corp. This group of fake independents will probably fool plenty of voters at this election. They may even hold the balance of power and run this country into the sewer because of their useless and obsessive attempts to save the planet from Australia. But don't be one of those fools. Vote for anyone. Vote for anyone else. Just not a bunch of elite greenies who won't tell voters what their real mission is all about. The Teal Independents are mostly women, often targeting moderate Liberals and are for action on climate change, corruption and gender equity. They're backed with money from businessman Simon Holmes at Court's Climate 200 Group, which has teal or blue-green colours. And it's that support and the coordinated nature of their campaign that has the government and News Corp crying foul. Don't vote for the anti-liberal candidates, because they're anti-liberal. Therefore, they are fake independents and they're deceiving voters. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. That line from the PM is echoed daily by commentators on Sky After Dark. They are an electoral fraud, a phony group of green left activists who want to trick people into voting for them. Fake independents are going to cause trouble. If you want to support vapid candidates spewing motherhood statements with no real policy detail, then go right ahead. And if you open the Daily Telegraph, you'll see it's not just democracy the independents put at risk. It's your steak dinner too. Climate crazy's wild plan. Eating insects instead of beef and vaccinating cows by drone to produce less methane. This is Australia in 2030 if teal independents hold the balance of power. Yep, a couple more independents in Parliament and it's bugs for dinner, Telegraph warned a fortnight ago with this dramatic expose inside the paper. Climate cult's cuckoo land ideas laid bare. It's the sort of wacky headline usually reserved for the Greens. But in this election, it's the climate independents who are copping the flack. Of 21 Telegraph articles about them, since April 10, when the election was called, two-thirds have been negative, with only one mildly positive. 
And those who have copped the most heat are those with the best chance of winning. Former ABC journalist Zoe Daniel was dragged through the tabloids for signing a pro-Palestinian open letter before becoming a candidate. And Wentworth Independent Allegra Spender was branded a hypocrite for chairing a business taking government green grants while arguing for tougher climate targets. Meanwhile, telecolumnist Joe Hildebrand and Vicky Campion, partner of Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce, have laid into their lack of logic and their snake oil policies. Over at News Corp's The Australian, Spender, Daniel and Ryan in Kuyong have all been whacked. Along with Simon Holmes of Court himself, who the Oz warned in a front page exclusive last week was set to cash in. Chance of clean energy windfall for Climate 200 boss if team gets up. Of 38 stories and columns we counted in The Australian on Team Teal, that's more than one a day, 20 were bad news for the candidates and only two were positive. And in case any doubt remained about the paper's view, this editorial cleared it up. Why risk instability, uncertainty? Candidates without sound policies are dicing with the nation's future. We asked the editors of The Australian and The Daily Telegraph if they thought their coverage of the independent candidates was fair and balanced, but we did not hear back. Hosts and guests on Sky After Dark have also been piling on, with Peter Credlin offering a gloomy 13-minute feature on the independent threat, which kicked off with this warning from her old boss, former PM Tony Abbott. They're basically labour in disguise, that's what they are. So be under no illusions, this is a false flag operation. Credlin then railed at the injustice of only Liberal MPs being targeted. Why these Climate 200 guerrilla games matter is not just that Liberal seats could fall, but the Liberal campaign hardheads will waste time and money trying to hang on to electorates that by right shouldn't be at risk. Note the words, by right. And, rounding it off, she had Liberal Senator James McGrath warning that the Teal independents were part of a nasty cabal of anti-coalition forces. I'm talking just not the Labor Party and the Greens, the unions, you know, ABC, SBS, Fairfax, and now we've got these people. And they're all working together, clearly working together, to make sure that, that we lose the coming election. And because the independents have been coy about which party they would support if elected and if there was a hung parliament, Chris Kenny ramped it up last week, declaring they are a risk to the country. They will plunge Australia into the riskiest parliamentary experiment in modern history, at perhaps the most ominous period in our nation since the Second World War. So ominous, in fact, that the Sunday Herald Sun gave its front page yesterday to Josh Frydenberg to talk about the fight of his life and warn of a horror show for the country if independents are elected. And inside the paper came a call to arms lifted straight from a campaign ad. Why you need to vote for me. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Um, there is a bit of a protection racket from News Corp, as you know we've always talked about on this program, and, and that's okay, they can choose whatever side they like. Uh, but you always need to be reminded, um, of course, that there are plenty of other sides to the story. And uh, here on this program, we try and offer you the alternate uh, or the other side of the coin. Anyway, uh, that's a really good explainer on the teal independence and why uh, they are going to play such a major part in this upcoming federal election. Marcus Paul in the morning. You're always one, two, three jumps ahead. Stick with us, you'll be well fed. With happy music all the while. Easy listening with a smile. Keep jumping, follow suit. You're gonna have a bright new future. Okay, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, I would love an audit of exactly how much money is being spent by all political parties um, on their advertising campaigns in this federal election. I guess putting aside Clive Palmer, who's funding it all out of his own back pocket, he's got, you know, millions upon millions of dollars to waste. So he might as well, uh, you know, prop up the media industry by advertising on it because for all the good it's going to do him. Anyway, Blue Ribbon Sydney suburbs and a handful of seats in regional New South Wales are the targets of an election ad spending spree on Facebook. 
with major parties and so-called teal independents, who I told you about in the last segment, waging fierce battles to win power. Former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull's old seat of Wentworth is attracting the biggest share of online spending in the state. Really? Followed by several seats targeted by independents, including McKellar, North Sydney and Hume. The news comes as analysis shows Labor is spending up big online, splashing four times as much cash on social media as the Liberal Party across multiple platforms, and even running 330 Facebook ads simultaneously. Um, And it's in New South Wales that's attracted the greatest share of Australia's Facebook election spending so far with the University of Queensland report showing voters in the state had been swamped by $646,000 worth of ads on the platform since the election was called. Wentworth residents have seen the biggest election ad target so far, with the battle between Liberal MP Dave Sharma and Climate 200-backed independent Allegra Spender attracting more than $30,000 in Facebook spending and Mr Sharma spending slightly more than his rival. Meanwhile, independent candidate Dr Sophie Scamps outspent the Liberals Jason Falinski and McKellar, while Energy Minister Angus Taylor spent more than double that of his independent rival Penny Ackery and Hume. Other expensive election ad battles include high-profile seats North Sydney, Bennelong and Warringah. Now, the University of Queensland political scientist, Dr Glenn Kefford, who created a tool to crunch Facebook ad data, said this election had seen much higher spending on social media due to its growing audience and the bigger budgets of independent candidates. He said the amount of money the independents are spending is really significant and unprecedented historically. Some of them are spending four or five thousand dollars a week on Instagram ads alone. Candidates from major parties don't normally spend that. An analysis of the major political party spending across both Facebook and Google platforms showed Labor had the cheap, uh, deepest, I was about to say cheapest, deepest pockets by far, with the party and its leader paying more than $247,000 for Facebook ads and $223,000 on Google ads in a week. By comparison, the Liberal Party and Prime Minister Scott Morrison spent less than half that amount on its Google and Facebook ads combined, though many of their advertisements were more negative, using memes, of course, to mock leader Anthony Albanese. Uh, Look, I I will say at this point, before I continue with this story, I think the fact that Labor are taking to social media more means that, well, they don't have the budget the government does to advertise on commercial television. I mean, there's big, you know, (laughs) there's a war chest of funds available at Prime Minister Scott Morrison's disposal, and I'm seeing far more liberal advertisements on TV uh, than Labor's. Anyway, Australian National University political marketing expert Dr Andrew Hughes said the party's online spending exposed different campaign strategies this election. Labor is taking a broad target approach with big spending designed to spread its message nationwide and lock in existing supporters. They say Labor's spending has been consistently high, though the party had invested in more negative ads toward the campaign's halfway point. A lot of the negative ads started after Anzac Day touting no more mistakes, no more excuses. They're targeting undecided voters with these ads. They are Labor's biggest fear. And according to these ads, they're targeting Queensland and New South Wales. But the Liberal Party's move to run fewer but more targeted ads could be a solid strategy, according to the experts. They say if the party aims its message to the right audiences and in marginal seats, just because you're running hundreds of ads does not mean it's going to be successful and it does not mean you're good at digital. It's like getting 58 text messages from someone trying to ask you out on a date. (laughs) But both major parties are being outspent, of course, as always, by billionaire former MP Clive Palmer, his United Australia Party, has spent more than $15.2 million on election ads so far uh, with Google, including $1 million in just one week. Far out. Anyway, here are the 
10 most targeted New South Wales electorates by Facebook ad spend. Wentworth, that's number one. McKellar, number two. Hume, number three. North Sydney, four. Five is Benelong. Six is Cowper. Seven, Warringah. Eight, Macquarie. Nine is Bradfield. And 10 is Hughes. With the independents racking up tens of thousands of dollars of Facebook ads spend. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, nearly it for us today on this Friday, uh, the 6th day of May. I hope you've had a, a good morning so far. We'll be back next week here on Starter FM, of course. Don't forget that hotline is there for you anytime, 0406521250. And listen back a little later to the Prawncast. Uh, maybe you m- might have missed my chat with Sir Khan from True Crime News Weekly on the explosive allegations regarding Australian Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Anyway, the podcast, Prawncast, up a little later today. Sunday, of course, is Mother's Day. And happy Mum's Day to all the beautiful mothers out there. A growing number of Sydney childcare centres, though, and preschools, I read, have apparently snubbed Mother's Day this year and are instead hosting parents or family day events under the so-called woke banner of being more inclusive. You can tell this is a news article a news article from News Corp. Anyway, the attempts to replace Mother's Day with non-gendered terms have been criticised for being part of a broader war on female-specific terms such as pregnant woman and mothers as a result of the trans debate. The inner Sydney Montessori School, which has preschools and a primary school with campuses around Balmain and Roselle, are now hosting parents and carers morning tea. So... Parents and carers, morning tea, that sounds fine to me. Why should it always be called a mother's morning tea? What happens if you're a carer or a parent and you're a dad, a male? Anyway, another upmarket preschool in Sydney's East sent a letter home to parents last week advising they had decided to change the name of their annual Mother's Day breakfast to Family Day breakfast. This will allow all families to be included, they said. A Stanmore Kindy, uh, well, at, in fact, it is Stanmore Kindy, There's a pause on celebrations this year because of COVID, but they say it had already switched to a parent's day prior to the pandemic out of inclusive reasons. At Bellingen Public School, gee, they're even getting woke up there on the mid-north coast. (laughs) Look, the local PNC Association, they've run a Mother's and Parents' Day stall, so the wording could be inclusive as much as possible. Look, does anyone really care? You know, if an organisation, be it a school or whatever, decide to change, you know, Mother's Day to Parents' Day in relation to a stall they're holding, does it really matter? You know, apart from, you know, the half a dozen people that watch Sky News, who cares? Anyway, organisers say, um, and they've told parents that they're hoping to have some gifts on the stall that will also suit dads who are doing both jobs. So keep that in mind too when considering gift donation ideas. Um, a PNC spokeswoman says, I'm aware that Father's and Mother's Day can be a painful time for children who feel there is not a place for them. They also have always given their mother a gift on Father's Day. All right, Blacksland Preschool Kindergarten in the Blue Mountains was also asked about their approach to the day, but they wouldn't disclose whether they were holding traditional Mother's Day events, stating they want to make sure events are inclusive for all children. Uh, look, what do you make of all of this? Women's Forum Australia Chief Executive Rachel Wong said the term Parents' Day would theoretically be just as insensitive as Mother's Day. Perhaps the change has been made in a bid to be sensitive to those whose mothers are no longer around for various reasons, but what about those who no longer have any parents? Wouldn't Parents' Day be also insensitive, given attempts to abolish terms like mother, women and other female-related terms from the public discourse? It is reasonable to suspect that this is yet another attempt to erase women in a misguided attempt to be inclusive. 
A concerned Sydney mother whose child missed out on a Mother's Day event said she thought it was part of a wider trend of eliminating mums, which is upsetting. And on it goes. Uh, I think they've spoken to everybody here except for Mark Latham. He's an expert on all things women, isn't he? Uh, no, all things woke, I meant to say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, well, that's it for us today on this Friday. Thank you for your company this morning here on Starter FM on the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and maybe listening on the podcast, the Prawncast. If you are, as always, please, if you don't mind, give it a share on your social media platform so we can get the show out there as much as we can. You can, over the weekend or any time you like for that matter, 24-7, give us a call on the Marcus Paul in the Morning hotline, 0406 521 250. Uh, you never know, you might be like Matty, who left us a message wanting me to go into some detail about the Teal Independence, which we did on the program today. Uh, whatever you want to say, please let us uh, know. <laughs> and I knew we would, which is fun. I don't really care. But we are getting a few... Um, what, hoax, scam, nasty messages. But that's all right if, you, if people want to waste their time ringing up 0406521250, calling me a dickhead, that's fine. I couldn't care less. It's your money, <laughs> not mine. Anyway, uh, but if you want to, you know, seriously be a part of the program, by all means, give us a call over the weekend. Prawncast up a little later as well. It features the, uh, the full interview with Sir Khan from... True Crime News Weekly in relation to those, and I have to stress, allegations involving Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, okay? So uh, it's an interesting story. It's not my story. I'm, I'm merely interviewing Sir Khan, and he's outlining the allegations through there investigative journalism. It will be interesting to see whether this story gets any legs in the mainstream media. I wouldn't hold my breath, certainly not, in uh, in the Murdoch press. But anyway, that's the story and it is very, very interesting. I mean, the question does need to be asked. Why was half a million dollars paid out to Rachel Miller? And did the other unnamed MP allegedly involved in this circumstance of the payment, in fact, also allegedly uh, become involved in some inappropriate behaviour towards the Liberal staffer. Many unanswered questions in an election campaign, and I've got to tell you, if it was a Labor situation and it was around the other way, there'd be many media organisations, including the Telegraph and others, and the Australian, that's fine, that's their right, they can cover things the way they want, but it would be front-page news. There's no doubt about that. All right, enjoy your weekend. Plenty on the Facebook page to get involved in as well. To the mothers... Happy Mother's Day. I'll still call it Mother's Day, not Parents' Day. You can call it whatever you like. Just if you, your mum is around, uh, and I hope that she is, then make sure you spoil her on Sunday, OK? Uh, even if it's just giving her your time. We'll be back on Monday between 7 and 9 here on Starter FM. Marcus Paul in the morning. Take care. Bye for now. True News Weekly. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me, I'll have your say on the Marcus Paul in the morning show. On Starter FM.